One of the beautiful things about our industry is that it's constantly evolving. Yesterday's victories may not be applicable today, but as the creators of this content, we face an even stronger challenge, and that's ad fatigue. People just don't want to see ads. I mean, I get it. No one wants to be interrupted while watching their favorite show or being bombarded with content that isn't relevant to them. But as the creators of this content, what can we do to make it worthwhile for our viewers? To get closer to that answer, I reached out to Lindsay Ellen, who's the senior copywriter at Red Pepper, which is an ad agency based in Nashville. They do some really cool work with branding and innovation. Not only does she work full-time at Red Pepper, she also just dropped an album as a singer-songwriter. Two industries that both face the challenge of saturation. But I hope that you'll see, just as I did, the reasons why she triumphs in both. I kind of want to explain to you what the current landscape looks like here in Sweden in regards to ad fatigue. So the name of the pod, this podcast is Ingen Reklam Tak. And basically it means no ads, please. And oh, on hilarious. every front door here in <laughs> Stockholm, right above the mailbox, it says Ingen Reklam Tak. And really? people here are just so used to it that it's just a fact of life. Yeah. But I think it's such a funny reminder that no one wants to be advertised to. Yeah. And when we're in the position that we're creating these ads and we're hoping to connect with these people, what a lovely challenge. How yes. do we talk to these people when there's this active disinterest in ads? But it makes me think, do people not like advertising or do they not like bad advertising? Because I still think ads today have these water cooler moment potential. And I'm kind of curious to know from your perspective, how do you see ad fatigue happening in the US? Where do you see it? People feel the same way here, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that ad fatigue in the US is a is a big thing. Um, I think people also, because of the social space, like we can't get away from any kind of messages anymore. Um, and we live on it all day long. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there is an active, um, there's a general disinterest in advertising and, and people are actively always trying to skip, always trying to yep. um, find a way to not have to deal with the ad. And it's like, even on all the streaming services we have here, it's like you typically have to have advertisements coming in in between shows. So it's become this thing that people have like learned that they have to try to skip over. Yeah, I, I, one stat that I'm, I'm sad to say didn't surprise me, um, According to IPG, and this comes from Lucy Handley at CNBC, 65% um, of people skip online video advertising and they do so as soon as they get the chance. Yeah. I'm not going to be a hypocrite and say that I don't do that because I do that. I don't I want do to too. get interrupted. Yeah. Um, but also what's interesting to me is inversely moments like the Super Bowl people love talking about the Super Bowl commercials. Yes. It's kind of like the one day of the year that Americans love commercials. And then yeah. every other day, <laughs> they just skip ad. Right. Uh, the second ads come on TV, they go to the kitchen to, to make something like a snack. Right. Um, what do you well, think and even, that even says? the way like, oh my gosh, it's it's so interesting. And I, I also think of even the way the media treats the Super Bowl ads. Like you'll see roundups the next day of like the best ads or they'll, they'll yeah. rank the ads. Um, and, but yeah, it's so interesting that consumers 
Like people show up, some people only watch the Super Bowl so that they can see the ads. Wow. Um, okay. Which is like, I, there are so many places that I've worked for that it's like our boss would ask us to like make sure you turn into the Super Bowl so that mm-hmm. you can see the ads. I don't care if you watch the game, but like let's talk about the ads. Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, I think a couple of things. I think one, there's such hype around how much it costs to get a spot during the Super right. Bowl. Like it's kind of one of these, it's like a low hanging fruit, like media headline is like mm. so-and-so spent so much money to get that 30 second spot. So I think there's a lot of interest around from consumers just thinking like, oh my gosh, they spent how much money for 30 seconds or 15 yeah. seconds. Like the there's hype something, is the ad. Yeah, the yeah. hype is the ad. Um, but I also do, I mean, I think that some of the Super Bowl ads are, they're just brilliant. They're so mm-hmm. interesting. Um, they're so over the top or they're really sentimental or like, you know, they're really, they go so far with the storytelling. Um, or it's a, I think it's a time where brands can take a huge risk mm-hmm. because they know they're going to have the eyes no matter what. Right. Which is interesting. Do you have any insight on what is what technique is more effective on these like big commercials? Cause I see comedy is a huge thing to be the water cooler moment. Mm-hmm. But then like, for example, one of my favorite ads is like the, one of the uh, recent Audi ads where it's uh, this girl like go-kart racing, or I don't think that's the name of the actual like racing. Um, but I love the sentimental ads. You know, I love the ones yeah. where I want to call my dad or I want to call my mom right after and just be yeah. like, Hey, just to let you know, like, I love you. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, Those <laughs> are the yes. ads that I will forever remember. Do you yeah. have any insight on like what works best? Oh man. I mean, I think something we talk a lot about at Red Pepper is humor and uh-huh. and going like going in that direction. Like how do you make people laugh? Because that's, that's something people will remember. Um, even if it doesn't land for everybody, like that's mm-hmm. okay. And, and trying to be okay with that because I think humor is one of those things that just really connects people. It's a really interesting topic for me. The best way to influence behavior is through emotion. And as filmmakers, our only job is to be the vessel for those emotions. Jonah Berger writes in his book, Contagious, that one of the key factors for something going viral is emotion, and that humor is the most shared genre of viral content. That's probably why so many commercials try to get a laugh in. But every time I ask someone what their favorite commercial is, they will always respond with a sentimental ad, and they will always tell it to me like a story. What if that insight could guide us in what kind of content we create? It must be based on our goal. Like, do we want to get a couple likes and follows or do we want to make something that people are going to talk about for years to come? Honestly, it's quite beautiful to think about that even though we might work so hard and for so long for something that might end up just being 30 seconds to someone somewhere, it can make a lifelong impact. What a fun challenge to try to make someone cry in 30 seconds. Right. That's such a challenge, but it's when not you, easy to do. But when but when you do it, yeah. it's so special. Yes. I, I think. I mean, I think that is uh, a different kind of storytelling, but that deserves a lot of merit. Yeah. You know, you have no fat to the story. Everything that's in an ad is there for a reason, and if you can land on this emotional, sentimental note at the end that gets such a positive reaction out of someone, that's really fantastic storytelling. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. and that's storytelling at its best, you know? Yeah, so, but it's funny because I feel like now with people's attention spans, you can't really expect people to take the time to start that journey emotionally. Absolutely, yeah. So why do you think we're at this position now with ad fatigue? 
why are people skipping ads so frequently and they're doing so out of, out of habit why yeah. are we here i mean i think well one thing i think that th the main thing that i don't think this is new I, mm -hmm. I wonder if this is kind of something that's always been is i don't think people like being sold something okay like they don't like being sold to you know it, it's I think people like to discover things and like, I think that's why Instagram is such an effective advertising tool, even if you're not seeing a paid post or yeah. a sponsored post, because you can discover things on Instagram that are of interest and mm -hmm. organically find it. And then, you know, of course, like you get marketed to on Instagram as well. But, um, but I, like, that's something that I think about for myself is like, I've discovered brands that I've purchased from or that I follow on Instagram just by like living my life on Instagram right? and, and see, just seeing their posts. Um, I think that also though, people were so inundated with messaging, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can't get away from it. And it, I think people just want it. They want to get to content. So it's like, how, how fast can I ignore this ad or yeah. how fast can I like skip? And this isn't going to be relevant to me or, Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I don't care. I don't want to be sold something. I want to find it on my own. Yeah. Cause I'm curious. I think about why I skip an ad. And one of the reasons I don't skip an ad, it's not because it doesn't apply to me. It could be an ad for camera gear or anything about photographers, yeah. but I'll still skip it because I don't want to be interrupted. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like a, a losing battle itself. Mm -hmm. But the, what you said was interesting to me about wanting to discover an, a brand because I think that might be one of the or one of the reasons why we're in ad fatigue. There's mm -hmm. no room for curiosity. It's yeah. just a constant telling rather than showing. I, I love if brands could kind of leave breadcrumbs and you find the value of a brand yourself. And I think that will lead to more mouth to mouth or word of mouth. Yeah, yeah. word of mouth. Well, yes. <laughs> yeah, word of mouth transfer of this news. like. Absolutely. Jonah Berger talks about it in his book, Contagious, that one of the reasons why something goes viral is because of social currency. You know, mm -hmm. we want to be the bearer of good news. Yeah. And I think about my best friend, Anthony, like I, if I find a brand that uh, really could be useful to both of us and I feel like I discovered it, I want to show him like the, totally. the, the brand, like, hey, look what I found. So there's just yeah. like this curiosity, this kind well, of- Well, and uh, like that's the best kind of advertising that there is, right? It's like to get- yeah to get people talking about a brand or a service or whatever it is, and then sharing it organically with people that they trust and love and know. Yeah. And then those people getting into it, it's like, you can't, you can't pay for that kind of endorsement from, right. from folks who like love the same things or are into the same industry. And, and I think about the way, cause like I, I do that with friends too. And I feel like whenever I have a friend or, or another creative that I trust and that mm -hmm. I admire, they recommend something to me, like I, I'm on it. I'm going to yeah. check it out right away. And, and more often than not, I'll, I'll stay like, I'll yeah. follow the brand. I'll buy something, you know? Yeah. Um, that's how, like, that's how I like to be advertised through is through like friends that I trust. That's, that's another word that comes up so much is that trust being that we see what put us in this position now, what can you deduce of where we're going based on that? What's the line that you're seeing being connected as to what comes in the future? Oh man. Um, well, maybe something simpler. How have you seen during client briefs, what have they been asking for that's different from maybe 2007 when you started mm -hmm. in ad advertising? 
What I see a lot from clients right now is, um, and, and we try to coach them in this way too, is like, what is the, like, what is the core storytelling? You know, mm -hmm. not, not just, Hey, we need to move this product. So like, let's think of a great big fun idea to sell as many units as possible. And like, sure, we, we want to sell and we want to, if that's the goal, or if it's a brand awareness thing, we want to get the awareness out there. But how do we tell this story to people in a way that feels different and mm -hmm. doesn't feel like the same thing they're going to see everywhere? And how do you, as a brand, what can we make ownable for you that yes. you can ha hold on to that, that makes people feel something like yeah. anything? You know? Yeah, I think a big uh, trend now as well, and I'm happy that it's a trend, is the idea of providing value as uh, marketing. Yeah. Um, on the Red Pepper website, one thing that I love, so with every case study of your work, you have the challenge, the solution, and the results. Mm -hmm. And I'm so happy to see that on the solution, here are some, some uh, phrases that you have in your solutions. So for Christy Cookie, your goal was to make it possible for people to send the feeling of home to each other, even if mm -hmm. we can't be together. Keywords being make it possible. For Verizon Hum, it was that Verizon Hum would allow drivers to see their driving impacted gas mileage and everyday wear on their cars. And then for Mars, from custom recipes to easy to manage delivery schedules, this new platform helps owners know they are getting the right nutrition for their dog at the right time. So mm -hmm. one thing that I find in common is that you're enabling the audience. You're allowing yeah. them to do something. You're making it possible for them to do something and you're helping them do something. Yeah. I love that. I think that's such a great way to go about advertising today. Yeah. Well, it's like you have to make it like you have to every product, every service, whatever it is, like it has to be something people it's going to make their life easier. Yeah. Like, we have too much stuff, you know, like yeah. the, last, the last thing people need is like another, another bag of dog food sitting yeah. in their cabinet or, you know, another like, Oh, this is just another gift. I'm just going to send mm -hmm. to someone in the mail. It's like people have apps downloaded, downloaded on their phone that they haven't opened in a year. You know, like we just have all this stuff in our lives. And it's like, how do you cut through and be something that is actually useful to people, you know? In Ogilvy on Advertising in the Digital Age, Miles Young brings up the archaeology of mattering. And essentially, he talks about how brands that focus on providing useful information, practical aid, and interaction will garner more favorable reviews from audiences. Now, what if we apply that same philosophy to the content we created? I think we're starting to see it more and more as brands create their own YouTube channels with the sole purpose to just inform or entertain. You know, in this age of ad fatigue, I think it's a really great subtle approach to gaining impressions without overtly selling anything. I think it's also a symptom of this trend of wanting to speak with an audience rather than to an audience. And I think Lindsay has a great example of this from her work with Ava. They're called Ava mm -hmm. and the, the brand is a little bracelet. It's a wearable. Um, so much like a fitness tracker, you know, the Fitbits, like that whole, that craze that people have, have been so into. Mm -hmm. um, Ava put out a bracelet that helps women track their fertility based on different things that are happening in their body. Like they're, you know, tracking their, um, their heart rate mm -hmm. and their temperature and things like that. So you just wear it 
and it you download an app and it basically gives you this report of what's going on in your body and it helps women find this very small window where they are the most fertile and where it's easiest to get pregnant. So they came, so and I think that this was so cool. They, they came to, to us mm-hmm. and said, we want to do, we just want to focus on Nashville, which I thought was cool from the start because they were getting hyper local. Yeah. Um, so they, they said, we just want to focus on Nashville. We think we have an audience here. We want to reach them in a deeper way. And so they came to us and we basically put together a little city takeover. So we did like out of home, we did billboards and bus shelters. Um, and then we did a series of, I think it was like a week of events, um, with cool local brands. Like we did something at, um, an organic makeup store in Nashville and we had a speaker that was talking about health. Uh-huh. And um, we had women come in and learn about that and they could learn about the bracelet. They could enter to win a bracelet. Um, so we did that. We had an event at Red Pepper where the CEO was actually speaking to women who could come and um, mm-hmm. learn about the product. And you know, we talked about other things around women's issues. And so it was this really special, like hyper-focused and highly city engaging, takeover. Right? And highly engaged. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Totally. And I think that's what was so cool about it is like, if you look at it from, you take the bird's eye view, right? You're probably yeah. like, well, Nashville's not that big of a city and how many people are you really going to reach? But it was really more about how can we get this very engaged customer to know more about this product or learn about it for the first time or yeah. win one or talk to their girlfriends about it. Um, and then we, t- so as a creative department, we took that, you know, that little nugget from the brief and then in our copy and design, we got hyper, hyper focused on the mm. local aspect too. So we started cracking all these really fun jokes in, the he- in headlines about like some of the gripes of Nashville. One of the lines that I really loved that we came up with was make more locals because I Nashville, saw that. Yeah. yeah. I love <laughs> so that. Nashville is getting kind of crazy. It's like the secrets out about Nashville and it's a super cool city and everyone's coming here. And so the locals, you know, and again, you wouldn't really know this unless you live here, but like, the gripe among the locals is like, oh, everyone's moving here. Mm-hmm. Nashville's getting so crazy. Oh. Um, and so, you know, like, okay, we're full tourists, like, thanks, but we're full. And so we were trying to like hit this little, this niche market of like, yeah, let's just like make more locals, like get, just get pregnant and have That's kids so here. Smart. And, like, like stop coming yeah. in from the outside. You know? Does that specificity pay dividends later on? I mean, I think so. Right, like you people know? are a bit more loyal. Um, I, I mean, I like as a consumer that that is how I am. Yeah, okay. and I I would hope that, and I do think that people, you know, I think people respond to that. I really do. Mm. I think it's an, it's another indicator that today the trend is not talking to an audience, but rather with an audience. Yeah. You know, I think Ava is such a great example of that. You feel like the brand is one of us, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, they get me. Yeah. Like, yeah. they know how hard it is to park in the gulch and they know. Yeah. They and that's know. why I love these small businesses because oftentimes the owners or the people behind the actual business, they are one of us. <laughs> like, they're just yes. a brand trying to get off the ground. Yeah. And they have the liberty to talk in our voice, you know, mm-hmm. talk as we do. Yeah. That deep understanding of one's audience brings on another benefit, which is the ability to be specific in one's communication. I think that's a big reason why we're in ad fatigue today, because there's such a lack of relevance. So what if we went hyper-local? What if we made content just for a specific city? 
a specific street or even a specific bus stop? What if we made content just for that specific seat at that bus stop? I feel like that potential is only limited by our creativity. I think that's another reason why I love our craft because it feels like we're meeting so many new people by learning their perspectives. And isn't that what art is about? Don't humans have this innate desire to communicate? But I know you could also argue that the best art comes when an artist makes something just for themselves. You know, we'd all love to, to write ads or, or in my case, uh, create commercials that you know are gonna get awards in within our space, Mm -hmm. but it might not sell pants, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like you yes. have another side to that too, because you're a musician yourself. Yes. And that's such a personal creative process. In your case, do you feel like you write for yourself more or do you write for others more? Oh, I, I, I only write for myself. Okay, good. Um, that's probably a bad answer. I don't know if I should say that out loud. But no, no, no. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, I I have said this before, and like I really believe this. Um, I I write music that I like to write, and mm -hmm. if people relate to it, then then damn, I'm really winning, and I, and I'm so lucky if people like what I'm doing. But I I really believe that if you're writing, especially something like music, if you're writing music for other people just to try to win other people. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that's the way to do it. I really no, don't. It becomes a product. It becomes a product. And yeah. it's like, if you're trying to say something to appeal to everyone, what are you saying? It, yeah, if you speak to everyone, you speak to no one. Are you saying anything at all? Yeah. You know, like, it's okay to have a point of view. It's it's okay to, I like, you know, when I put out this album, I, I already kind of resolved early on, like, I, I like this product and I made the record I'm proud of. If people like it, great. And if they mm -hmm. don't, that's okay. There's a lot of music out there. Like go yeah. find the music you like, you know, like you don't have to, you don't have to make something that um, appeals to everyone. And I, and I don't even think that's possible. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, one thing I'm really interested in when I talk to musicians today is the idea of the democratization of the industry. So from my background with film, the barrier of entry is non-existent now. You know, yeah. before, way before my time, to become a filmmaker, you need to be able to afford uh, a dollar per roll or foot of film. And that was a barrier of entry. It was monetary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now everyone has an iPhone. They can mm -hmm. take photos, they can make videos. Um, there's so many free editing softwares. There's so much knowledge online. Yeah. For an artist with all these tools today, does that make it harder to reach an audience because it's so saturated or is it a blessing because anyone can do it? You know, I, I really think it's both Okay. because, and let's start with the positives. I think yes. it is a, it is a blessing because, um, like you said, there is no barrier to entry. I mean, you could have a badass recording setup in your basement mm -hmm. and you could make an entire record in your basement by yourself if you really wanted yeah. to, you know? Um, and then you can go on Instagram and, and promote it and you can use a distributor like TuneCore to get the music out there. Yep. Um, it's so possible. And I think that's amazing. And as an independent artist, you know, I, I'm so grateful for that. Just hire a great photographer, hire a producer, go in, make a cool record. You know, like you can do it. Um, however, I do think that anyone can do it. And so there's just so much music all the time. And, and right. so then it creates this problem of, well, 
damn, like, how do I break through? How do I really get people to see what I'm doing? And um, it's so hard to cut through the noise because there is so much yeah. of it all the time. Do you use any of your advertising background when you treat your uh, music career? Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah, yeah, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm so grateful that I have the career in marketing and advertising mm -hmm. um, because when it comes time to put out the record, like that to me, that's the fun part, like branding mm. the album and what's my color palette and how's it going to look, and, Okay, you know, and I think a lot of like a lot of songwriter friends of mine that, you know, don't, like the marketing to them, that, like, that's the worst part. They want mm. nothing to do with it. Like, oh, who can help me with this? Like, I don't even want to think about it because it's so daunting. Yeah. Um, and it is, it is. But it, I think because I do it for a living, I get excited. It's fun for you. Yeah. It. Yeah, it's fun for of me. Of course. I'm like, I love this. This is the best part. And and I, a lot of my friends are like, oh, are you kidding? Like, I would pay anyone to like, just do this for me. I don't yeah, want to yeah, do yeah. it. What yeah. about Nashville as a city uh, in itself? Like, what's the tone? Is it, um, is it a renaissance in the music industry right now? Or is there kind of this drive to pull back to the old ways? What's it like? Well, you know, I'm hoping, I love that you use the word renaissance because uh -huh. I've been using that too. Like okay. coming out, coming out of, um, a, a, now that we're going to this like post pandemic world, right. I, I am really hopeful and I, I do, I feel this in a big way, um, that people, I think there's going to be a, a true return to like caring a little bit more about mm. music because Nashville, you know, I, for better or for worse, Nashville is one of those cities where there's there's music all the time. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually it's hard to it's hard to get away from the music here if you want to just have like a quiet night of drinks with friends. Like right. there's always live music, um, and I think before people were kind of just like yeah yeah there's live music everywhere whatever, and and then it got taken away because we were locked down and we couldn't go out and the bars were closed and no one was playing music and the venues were shut, shutting down, and now they're starting to open back up. And like, I went out to a show the other night to see an artist and, um, it was sold out and everybody was, oh. you know, everyone was quiet and watching and listening and excited. And they appreciated it more. They appreciate it so much because oh, it's like, that. we missed it. Everyone missed yeah. it so much. And so, um, I, I hope that also like, and I'm sure it's, it's been happening. Like all these songwriters have been locked up for a year. I'm sure everyone's been writing like crazy and I can't wait to see all the things that come out of this year. You know? I love it. Your new album, Queen of Nothing. I understand that making a song itself is so difficult as it is. What's the process like to craft an album? Like, what do you think about when it comes to um, what song comes after what? How do you curate these personal pieces of you? Yeah, I love that. It's so fun talking to you because <laughs> I love that you think about these things. Like, okay. you are the only person who has ever asked me about like how to like how to sync this or how to you know how to organize the song yeah. on the album because there I, there is a thought process to that. Tell me about it. I'm curious. Um, and I labored over it. Yeah. I mean, it was it was not. A, I mean, I I think I changed the order of those tracks like ten times before I landed on mm -hmm. the way it, it appears on the album. Um, and for me, it, it was a dynamics thing. Uh -huh. I want to take people on a little bit of like a ride, you know? So the album opens with- I mean, um, this. I was going to say from glory, glory to helpless. It's yeah. just, wow, yeah. what a contrast. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's intentional. Like, I love that you, I love that you pick up on that. Cool. Um, 
it lets me know that all the hours I spent stressing over it matter. There's one guy in Sweden. Um, <laughs> yes. Noticed. All right. Yes, I've got one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the album opens with Dirty Fingers, which is like a bit of a banger. It's it's more of like a rockin' song. And then we and then I dip into Somebody Love Those Girls, mm. which is this very vibey laid back song. And then we go in, you know, up from there. And then, like you said, like Glory Glory, which kind of has this big drive Love to it. it. And then going into Helpless which bring, brings you back down. Um, I I did that because I feel like the records that I really love do that for me. Mm. You know, you kind of, because I, I love listening to albums all the way through. I love listening to music that way. Um, that's how I came up, you yeah. know, like, because when I, when I was coming up, there was no streaming. It was yeah. like sitting, sitting with my cassette tape or the CD or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's how I would devour music was like, I, I would listen to the whole thing. And if I wanted one song off an album, I had to buy the whole album. Right. Um, and so I love albums and I, I love the whole cohesive piece. Um, and so it's cool that once you have everything, it's really fun to sit down and be like, okay, well, where do I want to take people yeah. on this little journey? And how do I do that with these songs? You know, have you ever learned about, um, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey? Oh, yes. Yeah. Because yeah. I was thinking it could be so cool for an album to follow that journey in a way. And I was wondering if that was totally. part of yours. Um, I, I don't know if it was, but this feeling of a call to action in the beginning, whether mm -hmm. that could be your decision to face yourself in the mirror, which feels like what this album is about. Um, and then going on that journey, going on, or reaching that dark night of the soul where you think you're not going to find the answer. And then that final mm -hmm. song being the answer. Um, yeah. Queen of Nothing kind of feels like that to me, the song, where yeah. at the very end, you're kind of making fun of that paper crown. It, mm -hmm. It's, you're accepting it. It reminds me of the Golden Fleece where you go on this journey to find an answer, but the journey yeah. or the answer was within you all along. Yeah. It's such a great way to end an album. And I love that, thank you. Of course, yeah. I mean, that's what makes an album feel like a cohesive uh, piece. There's mm -hmm. a beginning, middle and end. There's a question yeah. and there's a reward at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a song that you feel that deserves a second look or a song that, you know, might just seem like a fun banger on the first listen through, but then if people really take the time to listen, they get more out of it? Yes. Um, and I, I love that question. And I would say hard to forget, which mm -hmm. is the, it's track three on the album. Um, I would hope, so it was actually a single too. We made that song a single, mm -hmm. which um, I wasn't sure, you know, when we were picking singles, I was like, I don't know about this one. It's it's kind of the oddball. It doesn't really have a lot of like radio potential. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up choosing it for that reason um, because I love it. And it was one of those songs that, um, and almost didn't make the album because I, I don't know. I have these weird insecurities around the song. Like it's just kind of this rambly run on, um, mm -hmm. dive through my memory. You know, this, the song is really inspired by this group of teenage girls that I kind of like admired from a distance when I was growing up. Mm. Um, and they were kind of the troublemakers and, and that was very much not me as a child. You know, I, I kind of stayed in my lane. I didn't break the rules. Um, and there were these girls that I would kind of like watch around my neighborhood and they were always getting into trouble and they were kind of, you know, and unabashedly and right. just doing their own thing. They were and, free. You know, totally free. Yeah. 
and like, you know, stealing cigarettes from the gas station and, mm-hmm. you know, all these little things that when you're young, when you're like, you know, 10, wow, nine, so 10 cool. years old, <laughs> yeah, you're like, wow, hopefully I'll be that cool yeah. one day. Um, but also the song, um, what I, what I hope comes through in the song is, um, as an adult, when I look back on this group of girls, I have a little bit of sensitivity because a lot of the things that they were going through and experiencing mm-hmm. um, was the result of things that like really w- wasn't their fault, mm-hmm. you know, like absentee parents and drug abuse happening and kind of like unhealthy attention from older men and, right. and these things that were happening in their lives that were kind of affecting the way they lived. Mm-hmm. Um, so as an adult, when I kind of started thinking about this and writing this song, that was coming through in a big way because, you know, I can look back and see some of what was happening. Um, and, but yeah, I love this. I love how the song turned out because it was one of those really magical things where I kind of brought it into the studio and mm-hmm. to the band. I had, I had my, my idea of like how I wrote it just on the acoustic guitar. Um, and, and the, the band brought all these awesome ideas to the song and the producer, Brendan, um, he brought so many cool ideas and we kind of shaped it on the spot to be what it is. That's awesome. And yeah. I, I, yeah. And it really, it really took on this cool life of its own. And, um, so I would hope that people would give that song a second look. It's just special to me. And I'm just really happy with kind of how it came together. Making an album from song to song and this cohesive piece in the end is a lot of work. And you mm-hmm. did all of this on top of your day job, your normal mm-hmm. job of working right. at an ad agency. My real job. Yeah. <laughs> How do you balance that? How, what kind of discipline do you have to have? What kind of drive and passion is required to do that? And pardon me, I'll ask another question on top of that. Yeah. Should creators think that they can only pick one or can they do both? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and I I have a pretty strong opinion about it. Yeah, um, tell me. <laughs> I think that I think that people are, especially creative people, are mm-hmm. so multifaceted, and like typically we all we all love a lot of different things, you know, um, and and that all feeds into your creative work. Mm-hmm. And so, I for me personally, I love kind of having my career in advertising that I've worked really hard to get where I am and I don't want to abandon all of that work. Um, and you know, I also love to write songs and make records and I think you can do both and Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm doing both. And I think with, with just some time management and a commitment to the work in all parts of my life, um, you know, I can make it happen. And I also, for me again, personally, Having my life at the ad agency, I think helps my work as a songwriter because okay, yeah. I think when, and like maybe you relate to this too, you know, it's like when you, when you do one thing all the time, it, it can feel overwhelming for one, mm-hmm. but I think also it, it kind of can become like a chore, a job. It, a, like job. Just a job. I mean, yeah. it, it is a job. Yeah, it's just another job. Or so I think I have this luxury where, like, when music is stressing me out and I'm if I'm stuck on a song and I can truly step away mm-hmm. and I can do my other life and work on my clients for weeks or months at a time and get unstuck and then come back with a fresh brain and I can kind of play in these two spaces that. 
for me, I feel like they serve each other really well. Yeah. Makes um, sense. Yeah. I mean, it's, it can get a little, I think where it gets a little crazy sometimes is, you know, I'm a copywriter at the ad agency and then I'm trying to write songs. So sometimes like the last thing I want to do after, you know, a 10 hour day of writing for other brands is like, write. <laughs> go write a song. A personal like, piece. No. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I also think it forces me to get really disciplined with mm. when and how I'm working on music. You know, I, I have to carve out time for it or it just won't happen. Yeah. So, it's really a matter um, of discipline, no? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, I'm certainly, I don't have it all figured out. I'm, I'm trying to always be more disciplined and like more dedicated to doing that, but it really does force me to, to make the time to yeah. make it a priority, you know? Yeah. I, I think it's really a matter of how hard you, or how much you want to, you know, mm -hmm. there's always a way if you want to make it yeah. happen, there's always a way. Absolutely. Is there anyone in your life that you admire who kind of lives by that as well? Who's just really doing a good job at what they do and deserves some positive attention? Oh my goodness. Yes. Um, so many people, mm -hmm. but I, in particular, I think about my friend, Jenna Rodriguez. She's the founder of this amazing brand called Curist and it's a bath bomb company, which is so fun. Um, all vegan, non-toxic bath bombs. Um, mm. But really what the brand is all about is um, kind of prioritizing self-care and encouraging people to prioritize self-care and then kind of combating all the stigmas that tend to just follow mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And so a sale, um, a little portion of the sale from every bath bomb goes to these organizations that are providing mental health resources and mental health care, which I think is so cool. Um, and I actually met Jenna when we were both just kind of living our lives at me as a copywriter. She's okay, a designer. Yeah. yeah. She's a really talented designer and art director. And we, we met, um, we've actually never met in person now that I think about Ever. it. We've never met in person because I'm in Nashville and she lives outside of Boston okay. and we've only ever worked with each other digitally. Cause we were working on this, we were freelancing on the same brand and we kind of got paired as a copy and design duo. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's how I met her and we just kept in touch. And so, and she still does that, like, you know, kind of like me, she, you know, she still has a day job and she's still That's doing awesome. her thing. Um, but she created this awesome brand and she's nurturing that as well. And I, I love and admire that because, you know, I'm kind of in the same boat. And also I just love that, you know, she doesn't feel the need to kind of separate these two things. It's like, Hey, I can have this cool brand that I'm building mm -hmm. and I can also have this job over here that I like and that I've worked toward. And so I think that's really awesome. And um, absolutely, yeah, just proud of her. And and I love what she's doing right now with the Curist. And uh, it's an honor to know to know her, honestly. Where can people find you? Where can they find your music? Where can they find your creative work? Yes. So um, you can find my creative work um, on Red Pepper. It's redpepper.land is actually our website because you know mm. we got to be a little different. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and obviously, if you uh, if you need a branding agency to work on your cool product or service, hit us up at Red Pepper. Um, and then my music you can find on my website, which is lindsayellen.com. And it's also streaming everywhere. I'm on all the streaming platforms. Fantastic. And the album, yeah, the album is called, called Queen of Nothing. So um, check it out. And thank you so much, Johan, for, Fantastic. for being yeah. so um, supportive of the music. It just means so much to me. Of course. I mean, I really cannot express how much this means to me. I really do think that we have the best job in the world. 
And it's always so nice to touch base with someone who also thinks the same. It's so inspiring and it makes me so excited for Monday morning. So truly, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. The industry is changing and it always will. The only thing we can do is anticipate. Now in Red Pepper's garage, there hangs a sign that says no buzzwords, no big talkers, no BS. Now in a decade from now, in an emerging ad agency, what tropes of today's advertising will they be warning their team not to overuse? Now, I don't know that answer, but that's the whole point of this podcast. I feel like I get a little bit closer when I'm lucky enough to talk to creatives like Lindsay. Now you can follow her journey by checking out her work at Red Pepper, as well as streaming her new album, Queen of Nothing, available everywhere. We are forever students, but we're also all of each other's teachers. Maybe an upcoming guest will provide a new perspective for you that might make something click for you. Regardless, I hope that you're constantly learning and I hope that you grow more and more excited for Monday mornings.